We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day... When he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Welcome to a special edition of the Fantasy Football Report. I'm here with Hassan Rahim and Ben Battle. We're talking dynasty rankings. Uh, you know, it's uh, not something we have a lot of pods devoted to, but it's definitely something that uh, we could talk for a long time about. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing fantastic, Blair. Uh, you know, March Madness just tipped off, um, which pretty much is uh, all the college basketball I'll watch uh, all year long. So um, after this weekend, it's back to football. Uh, how about you? Yeah, really excited for some March Madness uh, watching. My bracket's already probably busted, but that's okay. It just means I have more time to spend on uh, these Dynasty rankings. How's it going with you, Ben? I'm doing great. Excited to be uh, bringing this content to everybody today. Like you said, a little bit different, uh, just to give an overview of what the plan is. So we're going to make this a little podcast series of Dynasty rankings. Today we're going to be aiming to cover wide receivers 1 through 12 approximately in our rankings then we're going to follow up with another wide receiver pod and also of course all the other positions as well and the basis of all these rankings is from a neutral team standpoint so obviously dynasty rankings can fluctuate quite a bit depending on if your team's trying to win this year or if you're in a super rebuild mode and for these rankings, it's a very, like I said, very neutral where your team's 50-50 to go either way next year. So just kind of a true raw value of how we feel about every player. 
Yeah, cool. Uh, I guess I would debate whether I'd want to be rebuilding if I'm really 50-50. I'd probably, <laughs> probably try and get more picks. But anyway, um, we could start at the top, I think. Uh, you guys both have DeAndre Hopkins ranked number one. I do not. Why don't you guys... Why don't Ben, you tell us why you think Hopkins should be the number one dynasty wide receiver, and then I can tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, so Hassan and I have Hopkins at number one and Juju at number two, whereas you have Juju at one and Hopkins at two. So for me, Hopkins is the number one wide receiver above all these other elite players because he has the highest floor in fantasy football for the next however many years he's still in the league really maybe four years you could say he has the highest floor there are just absolutely no questions about DeAndre Hopkins every year he'll have a projection in the top 10 wide receivers Uh, this year he's projected as a top three player at his position doesn't really seem like they're there's going to be a reason why that will change he has safety at the quarterback position which is one thing that some of the other elite options that we'll talk about in a little bit might not have. And he had in with that, it's with a, like a blossoming quarterback um, situation. Deshaun Watson's going to grow with him. They're going to grow together. Like they could still realistically get better. And we have absolutely zero questions about his talent as well. He has the massive target market share every single year. There's, you just can't really peg any reason why he won't continue to be an elite asset. Hassan, how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I agree with everything you just said, and, but I'd like to add a little bit that like his targets are pretty much fueled by the fact that he really hasn't had much competition. He sort of um, had uh, some blips in his production by virtue of, you know, when Will Fuller's healthy, uh, but we've, and then a, a little bit when Kiki QT was healthy, but we've never really seen all three of them on the field at the same time. Uh, and that all that being said, I still can't see how Nuke doesn't get fed. Um, he's still fairly young. Um, Deshaun Watson is uh, pretty much one of the top uh, young quarterbacks in the NFL at this point. I mean, it's really hard to debate anything like that. Uh, and, you know, like there's going to be plenty of red zone trips in Nuke's future. And, you know, thanks to Watson. And like you really sort of want the guy who is his primary target hog. What do you think about that, Blair? I have no problem with Hopkins this high. I have him ranked number two. I think that I prefer Juju in Dynasty for a couple reasons. Uh, the first one being, of course, his age. He's only 22. He's still at an age at which you would expect the average wide receiver's fantasy output to actually increase at every age above 22 you expect well you don't expect but you know the league-wide average it tends to go down um you know so already only 22 he's already got one 1400 yard season which he had last year um he's got the sort of profile that you would have up in this range even if he were sharing the field still with antonio brown which he's not so um i think the just a combination of his talent profile and his likely opportunity is enough to put him at number one for me. I think the other thing which you kind of mentioned, Hassan, is that um, Hopkins is competing for targets with some other guys that we really like. I mean, we all have Will Fuller in our top 18, and uh, I think we're all pretty high on QT too. So, I mean, 
it's not a foregone conclusion to me that Hopkins continues to get the sort of volume we've seen, especially if the the, uh, Texans continue to run this kind of slow-paced offense that Bill O'Brien seems to want to run. I mean, these are kind of short-term concerns, but, you know... (laughs) <laughs> something to uh, take into account for sure. And, uh, you know, there are concerns for Juju with his quarterback situation, with the possibility that Big Ben retires. Um, so it's not all green flags for either of these guys all the way across the board, but I just think that uh, Juju's age and what he's been able to do at this stage of his career is is enough to make him number one. Yeah, so Hassan... One thing I've been thinking about is one year from now, everything's the same. Do you still rank Hopkins over Juju? Hopkins will be 28 approximately. Juju will be uh, 23. You know, does does that change it? No, that wouldn't change anything for me because I think part of what, what should worry me a little bit about Juju is uh, the fact that Ben's pretty much probably, we don't know how much longer he has. And uh, I don't know if the Steelers are going to be in the... Uh, New York Giants is vain of like trying to rebuild on the fly with an old with an old quarterback is just, you know, a, a good reason to be kind of nervous a little bit about Juju uh, if, if, if for nothing else. I mean, like if he becomes the OBJ to, you know, Big Ben's Eli Manning, you should looking at a guy who's going to be a phenomenal top three wide receiver, at least to hold going forward. But he need to be tethered to a younger quarterback going forward to be sort of considered to be the guy you really need or want um, to be the man, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, what are your thoughts on that one, Blair? I was just going to hop in and say that I think that one overblown concern is how Juju will perform without Antonio Brown because it, it is a small sample, but in the games we've seen without AB, uh, Juju has still had massive production, so I don't really have any concerns there. I think that definitely the fail rate related to team situation getting worse if Ben um, retires is definitely the only reason why Juju isn't one for me. Blair, do you have any last thoughts before we move on to uh, three and four here? Only that you guys need to take a closer look at Mason Rudolph. It's a real deal, <laughs> baby. Uh, yeah, I mean, Big Ben doesn't seem to think so. He refused to uh, to help him out uh, when he first joined the squad. Remember that? It's because he's scared. Knows he's losing his job. All right. So next <laughs> on the list, we have Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas, and Devontae Adams. Those are the uh, three, four, and five for most of us, except Hassan's a little lower on Devontae Adams. So why don't we first start by uh, talking about how you guys both have OBJ at three, and I'm a little lower on him. I have Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams over Odell Beckham, and I have OBJ at five. So tell me why our newly crowned Cleveland Brown Odell Beckham still deserves to be in the top three echelon. Why don't you tell us why he doesn't? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's probably easier. That's a good point. He doesn't because he has a fail rate with changing teams. We, yes, he's amazing, but is he that much more amazing than Michael Thomas, who still plays for the same team? Drew Brees still throwing him the ball. Um, Blair, you've done a lot of work on how changing teams for wide receivers mid-career generally has very negative impacts on their output. And I mean, yes, OBJ was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but we don't 
I'm just not so sold that everything will be exactly the way it was. Yes, he produces mostly like most of his production comes from himself. Like Eli Manning wasn't helping him or anything, but I, I just think that that's a relevant thing that we don't know if he'll accrue the same type of target share he had. It is a very busy offense. Um, and it's also a very new offense. We saw it flourish in the second half of last season, but I just think that there is a more realistic scenario than people want to admit where OBJ doesn't produce at a top five clip in the league. And from an age perspective, he's, uh, very similar to Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams, so I don't really give them an advantage there. So, you guys believe that the team change won't affect his production? Um, no, that's fair. I think uh, you're right, that changing teams is a concern. Uh, you know, Beckham doesn't exactly fit the... He doesn't look like the sort of prospects that actually, not prospects, the sort of players that actually benefit from changing teams. Like we saw, um, you know, Robert Woods go to the Rams and have his kind of explosion. And it's happened with a few other guys who change teams in like their fifth year. And that actually ends up helping them a lot. Obviously, Beckham doesn't doesn't fit that profile. So, um, I mean, the only thing that you can actually point to about his situation that's an improvement it's not only uh, obviously the quarterback, but um, the the whole system really, uh, I think, is a massive improvement for his outlook. I think uh, having Landry across from him again is going to help him be able to, you know, actually uh, work the field a little bit, you know, in ways that he couldn't in in uh, New York. Not only because Eli Manning is so terrible, but just they never really surrounded him with a ton of weapons other than, well, I mean, Saquon finally this last year, but even uh, <clears throat> Ingram was uh, kind of not quite himself last year. So, um, yeah, there are some tangible improvements I think you can point to in Cleveland. I just uh, am expecting big things from that offense. You know, if uh, if Baker Mayfield is the 2019 Mahomes, then Beckham must be the 2019 Tyreek Hill. So I want that. <laughs> What a comp! <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree with everything you just said. I just, I just don't know because, like, we've never really seen a, a wide receiver of OBJ's caliber. Like, they rarely change teams in like the prime of their careers. So, like, this is probably going to be an outlier situation wherein he's actually getting like a quarterback upgrade. Like, uh, it's very hard to 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 say that a guy who commands the kind of target volume that OBJ does. Um, it would mean that he's in line for some kind of a secondary breakout, which is stupid because he's already broken out. Uh, what it does is uh, he just should benefit from like improved quarterback play. And uh, I mean, the one thing that should be more worrisome is Baker Mayfield's uh, tendency to find the open player. But uh, OBJ is pretty good and he's open a lot of the time. So, uh, I mean, I'm not too concerned about uh, Baker finding him and hitting him in stride. I mean, I think it's it's fair to be concerned about probably his target volume, and you, you might see his yardage go down, but I'd probably expect his efficiency and touchdown scoring to improve. So could be a wash in terms of his actual fantasy output. Yeah, 
I, f- I just feel like you're hoping for a wash. Like, I'm not sure that the scenario is as likely where he actually increases, whereas it's more like you're hoping he stays the same. That's my perspective. I already we just talked about that. So anyways, next we have Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. So Blair, you and I both have Michael Thomas, then Devontae Adams and Hassan. You have Devontae Adams down quite a few spots more with some other guys ahead of him. You have Devontae Adams all the way as your eighth wide receiver. So just like we did with OBJ, tell me why you do not like Devontae Adams as much as uh, we do. Uh, Because you guys are buying into like the fact that he's been the only wide receiver that Green Bay has had that's fairly healthy for a while. Uh, He's got all the target volume, but there's just no other way to put it. Um, I mean, he's still a top eight wide receiver. And so if you really wanted to tear this out, like he kind of represents the cutoff as to what should be a tier one. And if you wanted to tear them a little bit further, tier one A for me goes, uh, ends with Michael Thomas and tier one B ends with Devante. So, I mean, he's going to see volume. He's like Rogers is trusted wide receiver. He also didn't come on until like, uh, like when he really came on when was when Green Bay was playing Hundley as their primary quarterback and like Jordy Nelson's target share completely dropped to nothing. And uh, I mean, like, uh, you know, targets are the lifeblood of fantasy scoring. And, you know, when you're when you're getting 28, 29 percent of the target share, you're going to you're going to smash regardless of, of, of whether you're good or not. You're just going to stay healthy. Um, and then and then that said, like and then the next year, there's no Cobb. There's no there's no Jordy. And like, yeah, sure. Cobb was on the team, but he's not like he was like an active like part of the team. Like he barely like he played like one or two games and spent most of the season like hurt, which is kind of unfortunately for Cobb been sort of what he's doing. And Jimmy Jimmy Graham never really came on the way he was supposed to. Like I think we're sort of at an at like we're at this like weird phase where people I think are overvaluing Adams relative to where he should be. And while, like, I appreciate that everybody else has this, like, uh, you know, why he's ranked so highly, I'd much rather be a little bit on the early train to get off. Uh, all, I mean, all all Green Bay has to really do in order to, like, nuke Adams's value is uh, improve the defense slightly, which I think they've taken steps towards doing. That like, would curb Rodgers' passing volume a little bit. Uh, Matt LeFleur to carry out his threat to being a more run-heavy, quote-unquote, balanced offense. Uh so that should like you know curb Rogers' fast plays and then actually spend draft capital on a wideout that's not in the fifth to seventh round. Like they've been taking shots at wide receiver for like the last two and a half drafts in a row, three drafts. So like why not like actually spend a second and third round run on wideouts? Like that's all it would take for this guy to just not really be the, the person that people like think he should be. I both agree and disagree. I agree that big concern for Devontae is that Green Bay is likely to try and acquire somebody and bring somebody on. But you have to look at how he still had a very formidable target share with Jordy in 2016 and 2017. He had... 26.5% 26.5% target share in 2016 and 25% in 2017. And given his red zone efficiency and usage, that still uh, sparked him to have 230 plus PPR point seasons. Um, so, yeah. 
And didn't yeah. and didn't Jordy hit 300 PPR points in the year coming off an ACL tear at 30 years old over Devontae, if I re- if I remember that correctly? Is that a bad thing for Devontae? I'm confused what you mean. I mean, no, what I mean is, it's just sort of like he was like outscored by Jordy a year after Jordy was removed from, from ACL tear. Like, I'm just saying that like, so Adams can be, <laughs> Adams can be the Nelson in this situation. I mean, this year he had a smash year. He scored 330 PPR. Yeah, and he that's was... not going like, to, it's not going to happen again. I don't think if they add like an actual wide receiver in the draft. Yes, but so like one one thing to look at is that they tried to get the other people they drafted involved, and they didn't really hurt Devontae's yeah, target. Yeah, because they have like, spent any draft capital on those guys. They spend they they draft them in the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds, and they're the same profile guy, a, a phenomenal free score, a big size justice specimen who's always bad at catching the football. Like, like that's pretty much the guy that they chase. Like, all of them. D'Angelo Yancey, Kwanimiya St. Brown, Jamon Moore. Well, not Jamon Moore, but, like, uh, Mar- uh, Marquez Valdez. Yes. Like, they're all the same yeah. type of, like, archetype. Like, I agree with you, but I just think that his floor is much higher, even if they do bring somebody in. It's unlikely that even if they get a great prospect that he's going to break out in year one and actually dent – Devonte's share so like he still has minimum so assuming they do draft somebody very good he still has one year to feast a little bit and then maybe the the guy breaks out the second year in which case Devonte still probably has at least a 25 percent market share because that's what we saw when jordy was there so that's why i think that his floor is high enough to put him in this elite category blair let's hear what you have to say um i'm yeah, I pretty much agree with what you're saying, Ben. I'm not even that worried about them bringing in another wide receiver. Um, I think, well, I don't know. I mean, I think they probably would still want to see what they have with the, the at least the two guys that they started playing last year in MVS and St. Brown. So, um, yeah, it's a possibility. I think even so, we're looking at a guy who was... You know, he what did he average? Twenty-two fantasy points. I think that might have been number one among wide receivers. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I would like any excuse I can get to rank Stephon Diggs ahead of Adams, which Hassan actually did. So, I guess the main question I have is why why you think that guys like Diggs and Cooper, who have shown, you know, that they're amazing but only in partial seasons uh should be ahead of the guy who was the overall wide receiver one last year uh this is so more so like a ranking for the future right like you'd rather no, be for sure. ahead. yeah so you'd rather be like first instead of like uh not first so like <laughs> yeah so like so like so like put so like put differently I think you guys are going to have to move Devonte Adams down your board whereas I've already got him ranked where he should be ranked a year from now like there's but just wait. like but wait, wait, wait. Devontae Adams is the same age as Michael Thomas and Odell Beckham. So you're and it's a situation concern, not an age concern. Uh, I'm not necessarily like like really all that worried about his age. I'm worried about the fact that like he has a, a very long history and a, a very colorful history with injuries, specifically concussions. Um, uh, you know, so like. It's not like I'm. No, I'm not saying like he's injury prone or whatever, but like it is. It is sort of a bit of a concern, 
And uh, another thing is, like, he has, like, a penchant to sort of play through it, and you can sort of tell. But, again, like, I think think a lot of weight here is being put on, like, Aaron Rodgers as still a theoretically elite quarterback at 35 years old uh, going forward. Like, I just don't know um, wherein or how this new-look offense is going to be. And it'd be, you know, pretty interesting to see whether or not Adams is able to repeat that now. And here's the other thing, like, and I'll be like dead serious. I typically don't buy uh, these guys, like um, a guy like Adams, like where I've got him ranked is, uh, as you can tell, lower than my other two counterparts, which is always why I'll never end up trading for him. And uh, you're, you're pretty much, e- it's easier to sell Adams to get something else than it is to go vice versa. Uh, and uh, I pretty much shut down any of the other trades going the other way, like uh, like wherein um, people are offering me Adams for like another you know top eight wide out like Keenan plus. All right, Suppose... so Blair, really quick. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna ask Hassan what like where would you have? Suppose the Packers draft someone in the first round, Nikhil Harry. Where would you have him ranked, and would that move Adams down your board? No, it would leave Adams like where he is, like 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 where I've got Adams rank is in in the addition of like actual competition. Like so, so if they don't draft. draft somebody so if they don't draft somebody, do you move him up? Mm, yeah, probably. Like <laughs> I mean I mean at that point there's just no other way to say it. But like Green Bay are frankly gonna be donkeys and not gonna win the, like go anywhere in their division. Like they might as well like like they might as well just like uh prepare themselves for, you know, finishing third. Uh, like there's just no like they need offense. Um, I, I just can't see how Green Bay is going to come out of this draft without taking shots and guys ahead of like the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. And I know we've seen like success stories, but that's more so the supreme exception to the norm. Even even like fifth, sixth, seventh rounders who typically hit don't hit for very long. They don't hit. They they start doesn't shine all that brightly. Like Adams is the last wide receiver this team spent actual draft capital on yeah so like so are you telling me like this team is not going to actually spend draft capital on a wide receiver in the near future or they're just going to piss away the like the rest of rogers's career which they might as well because that's all they've done maybe even adams right. though was uh just a second round pick when was the last time they that was the last a... time they drafted a second round like a highly uh like a like a day two wide receiver they haven't spent a skill a skill pick on on that bot on that on, on a wide receiver in forever. So who was the last receiver they took in the first round? Any idea? I have no clue. It might have been... I'll go look, but... No. Okay, all right. Enough Enough. Devontae Adams. We, we've we done a whole podcast on Devontae Adams by now. Oh, man. <laughs> I got a name on the tip of my tongue, which is probably Was right. it Bob? No way. Uh, I can't remember. Okay. Really quick. One in one sentence. Why do you prefer Michael Thomas to Devonte Adams, Blair? One sentence. Why is why do you have Michael Thomas above Devonte Adams? Um, I I have more faith in that offense to put up points and be productive for fantasy. For me, I have my. Michael Thomas ahead of Devontae because I think he's a more talented player and there are no concerns about Michael Thomas being the Saints' number one wide receiver and being able to accrue a big target share. I think he's proved that. Okay. 
And Hassan, now, of course, has Michael Thomas ahead of Devontae Adams. All right, next we have this Stefan Diggs, Amari Cooper, and Mike Evans tier. So, Hassan, you're the highest on Cooper out of all of us. You have Amari ranked as your fifth wide receiver, whereas Blair has Amari seventh, and I have Amari all the way down at nine. So... Tell us why you're so confident in Amari Cooper, Hassan. Uh, well, like the biggest competition the Cowboys added uh, to their uh, wide receiver core was Randall Cobb, who, uh, as we last saw, uh, was not playing for Green Bay. So uh, what does that make people think he's going to play for Dallas all of a sudden? No, like uh, Amari Cooper came like he touched down in Dallas and immediately took over as like the primary wide receiver and just like, crushed like he just crushed i mean like, and part of the issue that he faced in oakland was that like Derek carr is uh and he's finally people are finally realizing oh Derek carr is not this like gunslinger quarterback that we last saw in 2015 no he's really like a shitty alex smith and like i really mean like a shitty alex smith like, like this dude just checks down frequently just doesn't bother to like actually throw to his wide receivers unless your name seth roberts the guy is afraid of throwing anywhere, you know, beyond the sticks. And um, like the way Oakland deployed Amari was uh, was a bit more like a deeper slash X in that X role. And that's certainly fine because that's kind of what his prospect profile indicates him to be. I mean, the guy has accrued three 1,000 yard seasons and one 600 yard season in his like injury shortened like uh, third year. And this guy is like younger than most like i think every yep pretty much every uh player in the top 10 uh that we've got and I, other than juju yes yeah outside of juju and like there's pretty much impetus to like i mean like if amari posts what like 1300 ish yards about 1200 ish yards depending on what kind of pace dallas plays at like um like you don't think that he's gonna hit that number or if zeke gets hurt you don't think he's not gonna hit that number like he will and like you don't have to spend this much like capital to actually get him. Like you can actually walk off with Amari in the third round to start us right now, or like get like him at a bit of a discount relative to where he should be. And there's no injury, like discount, like to the other players priced in, like his upside isn't baked in the fact that he is like their primary receiver. There's no real threat on that. Like offense, when he stepped foot on that team, like that passing offense started working. Yeah, so like, for me, for me, the threat with him is the offense itself. <laughs> like in the end, they only gave him a only a 24% target share. And relative to the other guys we're talking about in this tier, I do think that that's relevant. That lots of the other players we're talking about are pushing the 30% range as their upside, and I just don't really know if Amari has that in his range of outcomes. Really, so, like I feel, I feel like he performed at his upside. Like, is he really gonna outperform ever the eight game stretch he just had with Dallas? Like, I'm, I'm not convinced yeah. that'll ever happen. Yeah, because every analyst was like convinced that like a, a wide receiver switching teams in the middle of a season is bad, and then they just were like forced to eat it. <laughs> like, like they just washed as like Amari just smashed. So like, so like the idea that like after a full off season workouts as like an actual integral member of the offense, as opposed to walking off the street, like, and he won't get better from that is like, um, a very difficult, 
a pill to swallow because like when he should have been his most ineffective was that eight game stretch. Is he going to like actually improve on it? I don't know. I really don't think so. But could he? Sure. I mean, like 24% genuinely isn't isn't all that like poor. It is poor in that like Dallas doesn't run a fair amount of plays. They started playing pace up when Amari was there. But like uh, Zeke got a significant chunk of the targets. Like that's just how this offense works. It's like they want to be run first. And that's totally fine. Part of it is just, you know, we haven't seen this offense work when Zeke uh, is on the sideline. And um, I mean, I don't know if you guys are aware, but like running backs get hurt. I mean, part of what like 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 part of what fuels wide receiver production and like you know receiver production is when your bell cow wide out, uh, running back goes down, and that's sort of where like all that target share opens up. And like Zeke, I believe flirted with like twenty-ish percent or twenty-one percent of targets last year, off the top of my head. And you know that's a lot of work to go around, and that's a and there's a lot of marginal talent around Amari for like um, Dak to throw to. I mean, you got Wash Randall Cobb. And then you got Davon Austin, who's like not even a real player in the league. And you got Michael Gallup. And I think like Michael Gallup probably poses the biggest threat to Amari. But had he been a truly transcendent talent, we would have seen that when Amari wasn't on the team. Like that's kind of what spurred this um, acquisition for them. So it's a little bit interesting uh, in that like, so why I'm aggressive on Amari Cooper's ranking relative to the rest is because I think that this time next year, Amari should probably slot in over here. Yeah, I agree on Cooper's upside. I think he, you know, he could definitely make you know, a leap up to be, you know, I don't know, like top three. Um, but I also have concerns, like you said, Ben, about the offense. Uh, I think probably one of the most interesting points of difference between mine and Ben's ranking and Hassan's ranking is that we both have Diggs higher than Cooper, and you have Cooper higher than Diggs. So. These are both guys who are young. We're still kind of waiting for them to really break into that next tier in terms of production. Why, Why I guess, do you think Cooper is more likely to do that? Or what's the reason for ranking him ahead of Diggs? So, so for, for me, just to chime in really quick, why I have Cooper a little lower, it's just because I think there's he has a higher fail rate than these guys around him. Like, I take that into consideration pretty heavily in my dynasty rankings all around is like, what's the floor of this player? And like, if Cooper has a down year, like it's just going to be really hard for his value to be maintained or for him to bounce back in my opinion, given that he has had so many down years. So whereas Diggs doesn't wait, what do, what do you mean by he's had like many down years? He's that he has had three 1000 yard seasons like, and he's been in the league four years. And right. Diggs, Diggs he, hasn't had, his... he hasn't had three wide receiver, top 10 wide receiver seasons. Oh, my God. Like, this is, like, such a bad argument because, like, if, if you, like, if you squint, if you squint, like, year two was a top 10, like, like one touchdown. I think it was, like, one touchdown he needed to catch and it'd be, like, top 10 on PPR scoring. It's, like, it, 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 like, like, that's the one where, like, where, like, that was, and that was also the year where Michael Crabtree, I believe, ended as wide receiver eight. If you move like one touchdown to Amari Cooper, don't change his yards, just change like a catch and a touchdown. Like I think that puts Amari as a top ten wideout. That should pretty much do it. Okay. Just, I think that both Diggs and Cooper have been a little bit underwhelming in terms of actual on field production. Diggs just gets a bit of a pass because so much of his lack of production is due to injury, whereas Cooper 
is due to what we perceive to be bad bad play on his part. I mean, it probably is not his fault. Mostly, he's been having to catch passes from Derek Carr. So, or not, or just, or just, there's just times where like Carr just wouldn't see him, like, and just, or he would see him and not make the play. Like, uh, like it's just like Amari's put together three 1,000 yard seasons. Diggs finally put his first 1,000 yard season last year. Yeah, I just mean I think that the um, the reason for kind of that we view Cooper as being risky is because we have seen him sort of underperform our expectations more than Diggs. I mean, when Diggs is not performing, it's because he's not on the field usually. So he gets a little bit more of a, a pass. And for that reason, I guess Cooper's value is a little more fragile, I think is Ben's point. Yeah, and, and, and but here's the thing. I agree with that, and I think like like it's also a reason for you to sort of lean into it because <laughs> because part of it is that he was like wildly overdrafted. If you go back to like his year three, he was wildly overdrafted. And that was the year wherein he came to camp, he was hurt, he spent seven seven weeks on the IR, you know, like on the on the injury report, and then he got hurt again. Like Part of it was just like the the massive weight of expectation that was placed on like Amari in year three has left like a bad taste in people's mouths. And then he was people bought back into him in year four and he didn't do anything until he went to Dallas. So you've got people who've like taken like a pretty large sample of games who are like, okay, this guy's like an absolute bust. And and you know, I mean, Blair, you've done work on like wide receiver bounce backs. He was the only player that fit the category of a bounce back. So like at a you know a 24 year old turning 25, I think like he's only coming into the prime of his like you know uh, career with like Dak Prescott, who's like by all like accounts a pretty capable quarterback. Would it would, would like the story have been different had he been playing with like a Mahomes or something? Sure, but like the thing that you know like the prior to the trade, there were teams who were trying to trade for Amari. Like like Philadelphia was trying to send a second round pick for Amari that was rebuffed. The Titans were looking to send a first-round pick, and then they got hung up in like a uh, pick swap issue with like Oakland, to where um, Dallas offered their first without any like protections around it, and that was the offer that they were willing to take. Uh, so you know you've got a guy who the rest of the league considers to be talented, um, and uh, he should theoretically be talented. It doesn't mean that like. Well, like we, I think we we agree he's talented. Like Blair has him ranked seventh. I have him ranked ninth. So, like, we think he's – I agree. Like, I like Amari. I think his value is ascending and it certainly could ascend. I think we're just not quite as high on him um, as you are. Yeah. So, and what I want to know is do you think Cooper has more upside than someone like Diggs or – Or Keenan Devante Allen. I can't wait to talk about Keenan Allen. Or Mike Evans <laughs> or Keenan Allen, right? These guys who – Maybe not Diggs, but certainly in the case of Adams and Mike Evans and and uh, arguably Allen have already had seasons where they've been in that near elite tier. Do you think right. Cooper's upside is greater than theirs? It's similar. It should be similar to what their greatest seasons, right? Like, I mean, we've seen Diggs smash uh, as a result of not having Dalvin Cook stealing away his targets. We haven't seen Diggs and Thielen and Cooks on this on the field for a while, like. Like, you know, when that, again, like I'm a very big believer in that like injury opens up opportunity. We've seen Keenan Allen struggle when Melvin Gordon's actually on the field and they're using him as a wide receiver two slash primary red zone offensive weapon. That was why he was like garbage for the first half of the season. And then the second, like Melvin Gordon has to like start taking time off and he's dealing with injury. Then Keenan Allen comes on. 
you know, Devontae Adams, we've, we've, talk, we've talked about him. He's the only, you know, guy who you have in the receiving game there. You know, like, so we haven't seen Cooper actually have one of those seasons. And, like, if 2019 is a year where Zeke goes down with injury, like, Cooper's the guy who's going to absolutely smash. He's going to put together a season very similar to what those guys did in terms of a ceiling, just by virtue of they've got no one else on that offense. It's kind of what where these guys put together their, like, ceiling games, right? Like, like we've seen Diggs do pretty well. But, you know, for a while we had people, and uh, I don't even know if it's Smarm anymore, but, like, they were talking about Thielen as the actual real wide receiver one, which I don't believe to be true at all. So, you know, you've got that kind of donkey, like, uh, sentiment going out there. Because we've seen Thielen struggle <laughs> struggle when like Diggs is off the field, um, so it's just a matter of like me being more aggressive than the rest, if only because it like I'm buying into the fact that there's like a hidden upside relative to his actual ADP, like and that's where I'd, I'd rather be on a guy like Amari who's like could benefit from like a slew of injuries versus a guy like Devonte who could actually see it like a crowding out, like there's no. It can hold steady for now, but like if you were building a team right now, like a roster right now, I don't know how much like what the what the delta would be between those two's ADPs. So if I offer you Amari Cooper right now for Adams or for Diggs, you take that? Um I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna ask you to give me more if only because I know not many people like value him the same. But you have to say yes. You have to say yes. <laughs> sure. Uh, I just don't know what the, the bid ask should be. Should it be like a late first? Probably not an early second. All right, early I'm to mid send, second. I'm going to send you an offer now. Um, sure. I'm not really. <laughs> uh, do, you, do, do we play in any leagues where you own Amari? Where, you, I don't where I own Amari and you own Diggs? Yeah. Probably not. I own <laughs> no, Diggs in every league, so I doubt it. Yeah, but that's like a bit of a mistake though, don't you think? Because like we're still ranking Diggs as like a player who has yet to quote unquote break out and he put together his first one thousand season last year. Whereas but a he guy has with... broken out. His production's been amazing when he's been healthy every time he's been yeah, on the Yeah, but most of that is field, touchdown he's... field. But most of that is touchdown what? field. Okay, you can say the same thing about Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham had a, the absurd touchdown rate his first couple years. Like I, I don't buy that. Anyways, all right, we've talked about Diggs, we've talked about Cooper. Next, we have Mike oh, Evans. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Blair. No, I thought you were going to go a little further down the list, and I wanted to know your take on, on Keenan Allen, since you have him much higher yeah. than the rest of us. Yeah, so I have Keenan Allen as my sixth-ranked wide receiver, all the way above Stefan Diggs and Mike Evans and Amari Cooper. And you guys are sleeping on Keenan Allen. That's I, I have to say that. So from an age perspective, Keenan is a couple months older than these other guys like Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams, but he's definitely in the same you know, age category. And... For me, Keenan Allen gets one of the most elite target shares in the league, and I think it's replicable year over year, and he's proven that year over year. Um, last year, he had a over a, like a 32% target share in the second half of the season. He's approached 30 multiple years. He's had like 28 and then um, over 30 at certain points, and Last year, had the Chargers not played at an absolutely anemic pace, we would have seen Keenan Allen absolutely smash. 
And I think that in this year, there's no way the Chargers are going to be as good. They ran 940 plays, which is a not a lot of plays at all. That's definitely the lower limit of the league we've seen in prior years. They're well over a thousand, and I just think it's really hard to expect them to be as good of a football team as they were last year. So I expect them to play faster, throw the ball more, et cetera. And I think that if you just take Keenan Allen's general production over the last few years, he's in this elite category for sure. And I know Hassan's going to talk about how, oh, he only gets those targets when Melvin Gordon's not on the field or that kind of thing. But if you look at the splits like he really hasn't played that many games without melvin gordon on the field like when melvin gordon's been dinged up over the last two years a little bit but he's only missed one two three like under five games so i think that when evaluating his keenan allen's massive target share that's uh, I, I'm less concerned about it being influenced by um, a Melvin Gordon injury or even a uh, Hunter Henry injury. I don't really see Hunter Henry potentially cutting into Keenan Allen's target share. And I just think, and back to it, sum it up, he has that elite target share that I think gives him higher upside than lots of people account for. Tell me I'm wrong. All right, nobody look. How many points did Mike Williams score last year? 180. Oh, you you must have looked before. All right. Yep, I knew that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I have we all have Williams within the top thirty. I have him twenty seven, but as I'm looking at these rankings, I want to move him up, probably into the top twenty four. I think um, he's probably a big threat to to Allen's yeah to Allen's uh, targets and his production. So. Yeah, like 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 they drafted him seventh overall, and like you're just gonna no, that was John Ross. They drafted him fifth. Well, that was Corey Davis. They drafted him in the top ten somewhere. Yeah, I think somewhere like that. Uh, but like, I mean, they spent so much draft capital on, on like their, this like you know rookie who like spent spent most of the time like on IR, and then then this, he came on a little bit as like a red zone threat. And the next year, he sort of kind of really came onto his own. I think that he sort of represents a bit of a bigger threat, really, than Melvin Gordon or like Hunter Henry's. Uh, uh, I, I think Hunter Henry's, frankly, a little bit overrated relative to what people think about him. Uh, he's always going to be seen as like this trendy-ish tight end who like, really his production doesn't really uh, indicate that we should really think of him as more than that. But like Williams sort of uh, did a thing uh, in his sophomore year where he came pretty close to that uh, quote-unquote breakout that we like to see. But like, you know, 20 points, 20 PPR points shy, you might as well just give it to him because he really came on strong. And, like, that's the guy who uh, I'd be a little bit more worried about in terms of a Keenan Allen. I mean, like, I still got him above Devontae Adams, uh, but maybe I should switch flip those two around. <laughs> so All you've right, convinced so Hassan Ke- to move, move Keenan Allen. Oh, no, you want, to, you, want, you want to move Keenan up. So, uh, Keenan, here are Keenan's fantasy point per game totals. 2015, 20 points per game. 2017, 17.8 points per game. And last year, 17 points per game on the most anemically slow offense you could ever imagine. Like, the guy smashes every year, and people keep underrating him. I just think he's super safe, and his upside is higher than people um, like to give credit for. I don't think Mike Williams is legitimately going to take away 
his targets. Mike Williams had like two weeks of a high target share. And one of those was when Keenan Allen was hurt. So I just don't buy like this third year breakout thing for Mike Williams, to be honest. The, the third year breakout is a myth. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we, we know that. <laughs> so why all of a sudden is Mike, why next year is Mike Williams going to sap all of Keenan's targets? Third year breakout is a myth if you've broken out earlier than that. <laughs> it's still the third most likely time for you to break out. <laughs> but like with, with Terrell, Terrell's gone too. Like he'll, Mike Williams can have those targets. I just I don't see him stealing from Keenan. I think he's the alpha. Now, um, you mentioned some points per game numbers. I'm looking at looks like both Diggs and Mike Evans had more points per game than Keenan Allen, and they're both over a year younger. So why do you have Allen ranked ahead of those two guys? Well, because Diggs, I think that... So, so Diggs, I have right about at the same points per game last year. If we, if that's what we're looking at, well, and points yeah, per game is a pretty it's, it's point five. And so, like my point I don't five think points difference. per game is like a great barometer. I was just in general. Um, I think that's a very overrated way to evaluate players. I was just using it because I think that people don't realize how productive Keenan Allen has been. Um, so to answer your question, the thing for me is that. Keenan has repeated it year over year. Like we've seen three years of Keenan Allen having this top 10 production level, whereas Diggs, we've seen it for one full year only once. And that was last year. And Mike Evans has a lot of issues himself. One that he's not that good in the first place. um, And that (laughs) he had like a 23% target share the last two years, that kind of thing. So I, I'm lower on Mike Mike Evans than most from like a redraft projection um, type type angle. So yeah, so for me, it's just that Keenan's repeated it year over year. Every time he's on the field, he produces it that clip, and the guys around him haven't necessarily done that. I don't think Keenan is like that much more valuable than any of these guys. I don't think there's like a huge gap. It's just that I think that he does have slightly uh, more safety, in my opinion. Cool. All right. Um, let's uh, see if we can hurry through these last few guys. It's, uh, I mean, if we're taking the next four, we're looking at two guys who have been elite over the last five years in Julio Jones and Antonio Brown, and then two guys who are, I believe, going to be elite for the next five years in DJ Moore and Tyler Boyd. Um, it, yeah, you guys both have Jones and Brown inside your top 12 whereas i do not i moved them out um so yeah why do you think these guys deserve to still be top 12 uh dynasty assets at the age of 30 um i mean part of it is just a a matter of this is sort of where you got to balance a little bit of like what you want out of your squad julio and brown uh kind of are primary players that like give your squad a bit of a chance to win well not a bit of a chance to give you give your squad probably like the only two veteran receivers you want like really going forward um 
I mean, Jones is just an absolute freak of nature. Like the way he um, accrues yards, uh, the way he just like racks up the targets, he sets up that entire offense like like none other. Like we're never we're not going to see another guy like this uh, probably in the near future. Brown, on the other hand, is uh, pretty much the guy who plays like Diggs and Boyd and stuff. That we're really sort of hoping that these are the that he sort of wind they wind up on that Antonio Brown career tra- trajectory, sort of as like this guy who can be like um, deployed pretty much everywhere and anywhere. Uh, why I've got them ranked fairly aggressively is by virtue of I really think that they're going to probably repeat this level of performance at least for this year and maybe hopefully next year. Uh, I mean, we're getting a pretty good indication that like um, Big Ben is uh, the primary reason behind why uh, Antonio Brown did what he did. Um, you know, I mean, a part of it is just I think this like both Bell and 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 Brown are pretty much sick of Ben's shit. And uh, there's a very real possibility that Juju Smith-Schuster will be the other guy who will eventually start uh, eventually. I mean, like the blueprint for the way out of Pittsburgh has been laid. Um, and 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 when when push comes to shove, uh, star players know what they have to do. Uh, it looks like it looks like Antonio Brown pretty much uh, the second he got traded for like literally peanuts has you know pretty much has gone back to the Antonio Brown that we remember like hardworking in the gym, pretty much supportive of his quarterback. Uh, how long he should be is going to be supportive of Derek Carr. Uh, that's to be seen, if only because I think they're going to replace him in the draft. Um, Julio, uh, I believe, uh, before we were recording, Ben mentioned that they're working on a pretty long extension, um, uh, yeah, and a pretty hefty extension for Julio. So, like, wherein I've got these guys like ranked is where they I feel like they should be ahead of these other uh, the other players uh, on the list. Uh, they're not typically guys I would target in a startup, if only because I think that there's other players in this range that you can and should look at. And this and someone else would probably like these guys a little bit more than you and take them. Uh, but they definitely deserve to be in that top 12 consideration, if only because I think this like their th- whatever they've provided over the last two years could probably continue for this year and the next. Uh, without a supreme um, fall off. Yeah, so for me, I just think their floor in the next couple of years is higher than people think. I understand that AB is likely going to have a falling off. He won't produce at the same level. But I think that the type of Larry Fitzgerald level career arc is what he's in store for. Larry produced it like a high-end wide receiver two clip for like through age 35 and Antonio Brown's debatably the greatest of all time. And I kind of expect his game to be able to translate to the point where he can still produce at a top 18 level wide receiver for three more years. Really? He signed the long contract. I think they believe in him and I think he's going to make every effort to stay out there on the field, uh, given how things have played out. And I just think that that floor is why he's still super valuable. And of course, same thing with Julio over only Julio's just slightly higher from a projection standpoint. Like he'll still be, uh, you know, has wide receiver one overall still in his range of outcomes, but of course aging just like AB. And I just think that they're like wide receiver two floor for the next like three or four years, just still makes me rank them higher than the breakout candidates, DJ Moore and uh, Tyler Boyd. Blair, tell us why we're stupid for having these old men ranked in the borderline top 12 of our dynasty rankings. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've, you know, looked at in some of the research I've done is how, well, not exactly age curves, but how when players 
get older, they don't tend to gradually decline. It tends to be a steeper drop-off. So it's the sort of thing you want to get in front of. Uh, Jones and Brown are both 30, so nearing the age when that sort of decline becomes much more likely. I mean, every year it becomes more likely. It's just uh, especially likely at age 30. So, I mean, you know, in redraft, I think they'll both be fine. I'd still expect Julio to probably be a top five wide receiver in redraft. Um, Brown, I'm a little more worried about just because of the new situation. Um, I think one of the main reasons, not only because they're much riskier assets than the younger guys, I believe, is also that I think that their, their value is not going to go up anymore from here. So if... If you do want to acquire them eventually, I think you'll be able to get them cheaper in the future. Uh, so it's a combination of all those things. Um, you know, on you know, on Brown specifically, changing teams obviously is is not good. Plus, we also saw him fall off in terms of efficiency last year, which is another another reason probably to have been fading him anyway, even if he weren't changing teams. So. Uh, yeah, just uh, a whole combination of reasons that make me prefer the younger guys. Um, and on Jones specifically, I guess, I mean, I won't say they're similar players, but somebody tell me why I'm wrong to think that this Julio and Ridley situation isn't similar to Roddy White and Julio in, what, 2011? Yeah, that's actually a good a good comp, if only because um, maybe it is. I mean, Part of it, like part of what like is different, is that like Julio is uh, and will ever forever be like a far superior like prospect than Roddy White ever was. Um, and I, I don't know if like I mean is, is Calvin Ridley about as old as Julio? I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, but like but like he really is kind of like athletically inferior. Really, what like w- where you've got what made Ridley, Calvin Ridley fairly appealing is like just like his production and like his early de- declaration and the fact that he's able to pretty much take advantage. I mean, like those two guys work fairly well in that, like they're a pretty strong one, two pair in combination. And um, it's difficult to see Cal- like if Julio was to miss time with injury, I don't know if Calvin Ridley plus Mosa new equals uh, a good offense and and people are always concerned about like Julio Jones taking plays off or getting hurt or whatever but like you know I mean he's it's yet to really happen so knock on wood it won't I think they just sort of scared off by the early injury issues and uh, they're trying to find any reason to like lie to themselves but like part of it but like part of it is just Julio is a different player than than Roddy White was and like even like not even in his prime like like Roddy White in his prime is probably like not even as good as Julio Jones now um, as an older as an older player, if only because he really is like leaps and bounds ahead of what people think he could be. Uh, I, I I do think what will hurt Julio is like the lack of touchdowns. Like that's pretty much it. Like his yardage ability to accrue yardage is 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 elite. Um, the one thing that I will say is uh, it's best to not draft both of these guys on a team if you're looking to like draft into the future because like Blair mentioned like their ass like their value will only be in decline but they will be overvalued by everybody and there's no re- like they will not it's very likely that you're holding on to declining assets so be sure you're okay writing these guys out either into the life it's Gerald era of their careers or or what have you and I think it's, yeah. there's like a matter to like 
balance the two. Sorry, Ben, you were saying? Yeah, I think Blair makes a good point that their value is likely to decline. So, or, you know, their public value is likely to decline. So he does make a good point that there's a potential buying opportunity after they have a bit of a down year and produce outside the top five that maybe then's the good time to buy and try and ride out that consistent wide receiver two production for a couple years. And for me, like I said, I just think that they do have that floor that they won't totally drop off. I understand the research suggests that they can totally drop off, but I think that their elite level of talent in the history of footballs uh, leads me to believe that that might not be the case for them, but certainly could be wrong. Uh, so lastly, let's just touch on why DJ Moore and Tyler Boyd both kind of cracked this top 12, top 13 ranking for each of us. So Blair, you have DJ Moore all the way at 10. Uh, you're the highest on him. Really, you have him above uh, Julio and AB. So why are you so convinced that DJ Moore is a top 10 dynasty wide receiver asset? Yeah, well, he was uh, an awesome prospect coming out of college. Uh, and I think he definitely showed enough in his rookie year to make me expect the breakout coming uh, this year. Carolina already got rid of Devin Funches, so some targets have opened up. Um, so, yeah, I just <laughs> I'm really excited about what he was already able to do in his rookie year and that combined with his profile. I just, uh, you know, it's not impossible for him to bust. I don't think that he's like a sure thing or anything like that. Um, nobody is, but he's maybe about as close as any of the rookie wide receivers uh, could be. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm just expecting uh, big things from him. Yeah, for me, he's shown that high-level efficiency in a rookie season. He's going to have the opportunity with Funches gone now. We understand he's one of the most elite prospects we've seen in recent memory, and that's why he's my number one player outside of all the highly, highly guaranteed elite assets that we just spoke about. Hassan, do you want to touch on Tyler Boyd? and why he's kind of in this DJ Moore breakout tier just outside the uh, top echelon of guys. Yeah, so so Boyd's kind of interesting in that, like, you know, we've liked him as Rotovis as a prospect for a while. Uh, I wrote, like, a 2017 column on him uh, as a how he was going to break out in 2017. That didn't come to pass, but he did. Uh, I was just a year early, turns out. Um uh, this the interesting thing about like uh, Boyd is in his sim scores, uh, particularly from his year one production, uh, it goes anywhere between Jamison Crowder through Stefan Diggs to like Antonio Brown on the high end. Um, and that's sort of a matter of how he accumulates his production. So like you're looking at a guy who's ostensibly pretty much he can be like deployed all across all across a formation and kind of what Blair mentioned with like the Roddy White uh uh, Julio Jones happening with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, I believe, has happened with AJ Green and Boyd. I.e., Boyd should probably be thought of as a wideout one. It's and like you know, people are trying to like say to themselves, "Well, he really needed AJ Green. He thrived with AJ Green." And it's like that's not really true. Boyd thrived with fucking Jeff Driscoll under center, right? And like and no AJ Green. 
and no Tyler Eifert. Like we've seen him do this. It was a small sample size, but hey, that's football. Welcome to, welcome to how football works. It's a game of small sample sizes, uh, and inference. Like I mean, that's pretty much. Uh, if you're able to 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 find the signal from the noise, you're able to to probably uh, be a profitable player, and that's wherein I think where we're. Uh, right to be aggressive in our Tyler Boyd rankings because he's a he's a player that we really want. Yeah, so like lots of people point to, oh, Boyd can't be a one because he did struggle in some games once AJ got hurt. And I don't buy that narrative at all because the Bengals were a complete dumpster fire in the second half of the season. Their team was just like, you can't, they, they were just so bad that I don't, that that doesn't matter at all to me. I agree that AJ's on the way out. Uh, he's old and he's had these injuries and dip in production. And I think Boyd is uh, ready to take the reins. Blair, do you want to wrap it up with some final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, just uh, kind of to that point of Boyd being a number one, I think people forget what a really elite prospect he was coming out of college. I mean, in terms of the things we like to look at early breakout age, early declare really high market share, you know, the, the other people who have done what Boyd did in college are like Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, uh, Keenan Allen. These are the kinds of kinds of prospects we, you know, these are elite wide receivers. And Boyd isn't quite in that tier yet, but um, at least as a prospect, a lot of aspects of his profile suggested he could be. So uh, there are a lot of reasons for optimism there. Um. Before we get out of here, there is one other guy who cracks the top 12 in one of our lists. Ben, you have Brandon Cooks ranked number 12, and that's interesting. I think the most interesting thing about it for me is that these Rams wide receivers are the guys that I had the hardest time ranking, just just even among the three of them. So I'm kind of curious why you have Cooks so high. So I have Cooks that high because I think he's way safer than people people think like his his for me i understand his upside is way lower than lots of these guys and he was definitely the most surprising ranking i had when i was doing this entire exercise but his his floor is just so high the guy has such a consistent um year over year like output and i like i said i understand that his upside isn't as high but i they have him on the longest contract for the team. I think their offense is going to continue to be good. And I think that his role is really, really safe. And that just his floor is much, much higher than lots of the other guys in the league. So that was definitely one of the most interesting rankings for me. I definitely prefer him to Woods or Cup because Woods is old and we've, there's just it's more likely that Woods is to drop off and Cups coming off the injury and Cooks has more of a year over year um, solid production. He's 16 PPR points per game, 15 and a half PPR points per game, 16 points per game. Again, he's cracked 240 PPR points three of the last four years. Like it's just underrated low upside, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great point. I have Cup actually ranked ahead of Cooks just because when he was healthy this year, he was like a top five wide receiver. Uh, yeah, so for, for me, his, 
Yeah, Cup got that because of the red zone share and his touchdown production, but Cooks did out-target him. So I originally was thinking that Cup would be in this high-up spot for me, but Cooks out-targeting him uh, is what spurred me to um, put him above Cup. I guess... I guess, do you think that that efficiency for Cup is going to continue? Um, I honestly don't have a lot of reasons to think that it wouldn't beyond just the fact that it's kind of more subject to variance than opportunity is. But, you know, in a high-powered offense like the Rams have, I think that we can see this kind of sustained efficiency for... Uh, longer than we might expect so i'm not really that worried that cup cup's efficiency is going to regress that much um i may still revise these rankings because one thing i probably should have realized but didn't is that cooks is actually younger than cup cup was like one of the oldest prospects coming out a couple years ago so uh that's something really interesting to see we should bounce around the rams wide receivers on on the next one since they fall into the uh 13 to 24 category we can spend some time on that yeah for definitely sure. i just wanted to touch on cook since he he cracked oh, your sure. top 12 so yeah maybe by the time we get around to recording the second one uh, a couple have retired by then <laughs> <laughs> all right well that'll do it for this special edition of the fantasy football report special thanks to our guest slash co-host ben battle uh where can people find you on twitter ben you can find me on Twitter at Ben underscore Battle 3. Got a lot of fantasy football and uh, fantasy tennis content going on if anybody's interested in that. So make sure to check it out. Awesome. Yeah, definitely want to check that out. Um, well, uh, that'll do it. Make sure to give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a review. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Right now at T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant, you'll want to keep it for yourself. Most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors. Plus, with unlimited everything from T-Mobile, the awesome iPhone XR will have everyone snapping, streaming, and sharing to their heart's content all year long. But don't wait. It's only for a limited time. So visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE and get iPhone XR on us. If congested, customers using more than 50 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds due to prioritization. Video at 480p via 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers plus tax. Qualifying trade-in, port-in, service, and finance agreement required. Contact us before canceling our credit stop and remaining balance due. 64 gigs, zero down, plus 31.25 per month for 24 months. Pre-credit price, 749.99, 0% APR. One offer per account. They call you the Grill Master. 
You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event. Like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event. Now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.